Once again, it's wonderful to have you guys back at Kingdom 101. We want to also welcome those who are listening in to this recording. We're getting into the next Beatitude, and the title would be Heart Issues. Let me show you this very first picture. You may be familiar with Seto Akipas. That's the book that details the uh, heartbeat of what Akipas Awakening is all about. And right there in the preface, one of the very first pages of the book, I wrote this very first line, what I want is your heart. I am after your heart. And those who have gone through my lessons in the school of ministry, maybe you remember me always saying this. When you do your assignments, I'm after your heart, all right? And whenever you come to any meeting or any teaching, I'm after your heart. I don't just want your physical uh, bodies down here. Uh, I, I want your heart, right? I, I don't want just your intellect because there's something I learn about Christians. They know all the right answers. It's not about knowing just the right answers. I want your heart. I want to know what makes you tick. I want to know what you are all about. You know, and that's what the heart is all about. If we look at the issues in our broken world, the extremely hard issues that we are looking at and facing at this present point in time, they are all primarily heart issues, is it not? Right? If you look at the brokenness in families, in marriages, in countries that we were praying for just now, the heart issues are primarily heart issues. Have you heard this quote before? This is from a pastor named Adrian Rogers. And he says that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. So tonight, we're going to get into some issues of the heart. And we're going to examine a few things to see whether or not, you know, um, we can understand our hearts a little bit better and what Jesus speaks about even in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Tonight we're going to be spiritual cardiologists. We're going to have a closer look. We're going to inspect what is right within us. What's the heart of the matter of greater importance and of great significance? And the wonderful promise is that there's a blessing attached to that. So will you pray with me as we get into this evening's session? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for Scripture once again. Every week when we start, Lord, we declare we are thankful for Scripture because your Word is not just something that's printed within a book that we read and we feel good about. Your Word is alive. And so this evening, we want to declare spirit and truth, Lord, in this congregation, O oh Lord, that our hearts, and that's what we're going to talk about this evening, our hearts will be good soil, ready to receive your Word so that you will speak to us, Lord, and that all that matters would truly matter after this. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's get to the heart of the matter. You know, each time when we have looked at one of the Beatitudes, you would have heard me say this. Jesus was not introducing a new concept. Anything and everything that Jesus taught you know that it is rooted in the Old Testament. And at that point when he was delivering the Sermon on the Mount, 
when he was declaring beatitude after beatitude, shouting makarios, the state of blessedness. He was really proclaiming all these truths upon kingdom subjects. Right understanding of how we are to live, how we are to relate to, and how we are to approach God. Now you know that in the Old Testament, the law was given how they can relate to God and how they can approach God. But what had happened for the people of God was that through the requirements of the law, they had ceremonial purification and they had a lot of things that they had to do, the, the commandments that they had to keep, and the morality tended to be more external than it was internal. And by the time of Jesus, they had, so to speak, perfected that, that ceremonial purification. They thought, if I were to do this, then I will be made clean. I will be purified. I will be okay. If I keep the, the, the laws as best as I can, I will be obedient and I'll be moral and God will be pleased with me. But all these things, as good as they would look, it actually caused them to miss the heart of the matter. And we see in the book of Matthew that Jesus actually addressed this a couple of times. He had very, very strong words for the leaders, the religious leaders in the scribes and the Pharisees. If you turn to your Bibles, you will find in Matthew chapter 23, it's going to be a while before we get there, but Matthew 23 is actually a very uh, hard passage to read, especially if you are a Pharisee or if you are a scribe. And in today's terms, if you are a religious leader or if you are a pastor, well, let's bring it down a little bit lower. If you're a cell group leader even, okay, it's very hard to read Matthew chapter 23. I like to skip that part. But in 23 verses 25 to 28, he actually says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Now, as if that wasn't enough, he goes on in verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What was Jesus saying? What's the point? You're, you're washing your hands, you're, you're keeping yourself clean, you're trying to keep all these things outwardly for people to see, but you're missing the heart of the matter. What is the real thing inside you? What is taking place? And he revealed them. You are like, you have whitewashed tombs inside. It's bones, it's death. You are dead in there. You are a hypocrite. That's the heart of the matter. And Jesus spoke it in no uncertain terms. And we see in Matthew chapter 15, in verses 1 to 20, some of you may know this passage and remember this passage, that actually he started off by calling the Pharisees blind leaders. And you are actually leading other people in that same way, keeping outside purity, holding on to certain traditions, but actually missing, again, the heart of the matter. 
They say, oh, how come your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat? They are not clean. They are not pure. But we do all these kinds of things. And Jesus looked at them and said, look, you hold on to all these traditions. Don't you know that whatever goes into the body, that's not the thing that is the one that is uh, contaminating you, actually. It is out of the heart that proceeds all kinds of evil. And he explained to the disciples in verses 16 to 20, are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. You see? He's saying, don't miss the heart of the matter. You're, you're washing and you're keeping all these things. You're ceremonially trying to be clean, but the real dirt you are missing. It's coming out from the heart. And these, they defile a man. Verse 19, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Now, please don't get the wrong lesson here and say that after this today, you know, I can play in the mud and I don't have to wash my hands and I can eat. Jesus was not referring to hygiene in that sense, okay? He was referring to the purity of the heart or, in this case, the lack of purity in the heart. So, understanding Jesus, we know He's not introducing anything new. Whatever has been taught in the Old Testament... He is now revealing the real thing in the New Testament. And as God's people, I think it's important for us to take heed to what Jesus is really trying to teach us from this one line, one beatitude. But before that, I think we have to define what is the heart. No point trying to be pure in heart and not know what the heart is. And if that's the case then we again miss the entire point. Now let me submit and suggest to you that modern definitions of the heart are not helpful at all. Right? Whenever we look at the heart, we, we tend to think about all the Valentine's Day, right? All the lovey-dovey stuff and all the wishy-washy type of emotions, you know, where the heart is only linked with feelings and with emotions. Well, that is not entirely wrong, although the, the heart does deal with and involve emotions and feelings, it's not about that only. There's a lot more. In one of our modules previously, I, I taught about biblical interpretation, how to interpret the Bible. And one of the most basic things that you have to learn when you want to do Bible interpretation is you have to do word studies. And our problem is that many times we think we understand the English word. So we don't want to study it. But when the students were assigned this word study to study the heart, they were surprised. Because from both the Hebrew as well as the Greek, we find that the heart in Hebrew actually means and refers to the inner self. It actually points to something that's within and, and much lower than where you would place your hand if I say put your hand on your heart. It's actually more in the center of your entire being. And sometimes they describe it to call your belly. Some have bigger hearts than others. Okay? And we say it's the, it's the belly or is it the, the kidney or the intestines? Right here. 
And so that sort of gives you an idea that that's the, the, the seed or the, the center of, of who you are. In the Greek, it speaks also the, the, of the seat or the center of life. And so the right understanding of heart is really all-encompassing. All it's not just emotions. It encompasses also the mind. Does that surprise you? Right? Because today when we say heart, everyone thinks only feelings. Oh, then the mind is something else. No. To the, the Hebrew mind, the, the mind is, is within also the heart. The will is also described within the heart. And contained within all these, if you, if you mesh it all up, your, your convictions, that's right there also in the heart. The convictions will, will move to your values, which is really based on your belief system. Do you realize that the heart is a, is a lot more than what we would have imagined? It's not just feelings. It's not just emotions. To put it very simply, the heart is the real you. That's who you are. And so when I talk about the heart, I'm, I'm referring to, to you. Not one aspect of you. All of you. The real you, not the Facebook you, not the social media you, not even the church you sometimes, a lot of times. Right? When we go to church, we put on masks, you know, and then suddenly that's, that's, that's a different us altogether. We, but the heart, the real heart, the true heart, if it is exposed, who are you? If everything is stripped and you're left standing, as it were, who are you? The heart will reveal the real you. It's everything you stand for. That's the heart. That's why scripture warns very, very carefully in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence. Keep it, guard it, another version says. Protect it, protect this heart. Why? Because it's you. You don't just protect your feelings. I mean, today we talk about romantic novels, you know, and you say, oh, don't give away your heart too quickly. That's true because you don't just give one part. When you give away your heart, you give actually everything. It's all of you. So Proverbs 4.23 reminds us, keep your heart with all diligence. Be careful. Watch your heart. Protect this, this person of yourself. Because if you're not careful, out of this heart, it springs the issues of life. That's why tonight we're talking about heart issues. It's about each and every one of us. The real you, that's your heart. Doesn't mean that if we protect our hearts and our, and our hearts are kept well and kept nice, you know, is it all about having a good life? You know, if my heart is all right, so I'll be okay, I'll make the right decisions. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the pure in heart so that you will make the right decisions. Blessed are the pure in heart so you will answer the right question. Blessed are the pure in heart so that you will get the best job and make a difference in your community. I mean, all that sounds really nice, right? But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Well, this is, this is way above all those other things that I mentioned, is it not? It's not just having a nice life. It's not just having a good pay. It's not just having a good reputation. If your heart is guarded, if it's kept pure, those who are pure in heart, this is a tremendous promise. They will see God. 
And I want you to keep this in mind. Because this will be our focus and this is our goal so that we desire to be truly pure in heart because that's the end point. We get to see God. And if you can see God, I, I wonder how many of you have that desire even right now, right? If you can see God in, and if you are able to see God, the rest of the issues will settle itself. Praise the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Now that we have defined the heart, and we want to be pure in heart, so that we may see God, don't you think it's important for us to define what it means to see God? You know, as a younger Christian, I always had this struggle. They kept telling me that God is invisible. And then they kept telling me that they can see God. And I never understood what that meant. Did you struggle with the same thing? You know, it's like, you know, maybe I was too young, right? Maybe too naive, too immature in my own journey and my own walk. But I read the Bible as it is, and it says, no one has seen God. That's what the Bible tells me. And then suddenly you, you read about Isaiah, and he says, oh, I saw the Lord in the year King Hosiah died. Huh? So what did he see? How did he see, right? And then later on, there, there are things called the theophanies, right? A, a manifestation of the person of God in human form. It's like, well, okay, this is too cheap for me. This is too hard for me to understand. What does it mean to see God? And I'm going to give you some points. I hope it helps us. I'm not saying God cannot appear to us or, you know, show us in a, a theophany. But I, I, as I understand my Bible, it's few and far in between. Amen? Yeah? And he, he chooses who He wants to appear to. But I've got this beautiful promise. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It seems to apply to all of us, not just to a few of us. The first understanding of seeing God is this understanding of presence and rest. When you say you want to see someone, it's not just seeing a person from a distance, but you desire to have a permission to enter into that person's presence. Am I making sense? I mean, we've got a lot of dignitaries, we've got a lot of big shots. Sometimes we can see them on TV and we can watch them from afar. But if you're going to make an appointment to see this person, what you mean is that you are going to get up close and personal with this one big guy, right? When you say, I'm going to see a doctor, guess what? You're not just going to watch him walk outside his clinic. You make an appointment and you get into the clinic, into the room, into the person's presence. And to see God has that same connotation, the same understanding of entering his presence. After the ninth plague, Pharaoh was so upset with Moses. And he, he literally tells Moses, after this, you won't see my face anymore. What did he mean by that? In other words, he's saying, you won't see me means I will not grant you access into my court. Don't even set foot here. Because if you do that, I'm going to get serious with you. So seeing someone can mean entering that person's presence. And when audience is granted and you get to see this higher authority, someone that you're appealing to, and especially God, there is relief and there is rest in this person's presence because you know this person is going to help you, right? Right? There's a certain confidence in that. 
And that's why God told Moses, my presence will go with you. And because I'm going to be with you and you're going to be with me and we are going to be in each other's presence, there will be rest. It's going to be okay. A second aspect of seeing God is encountering when you are in His presence, encountering His glory and His greatness. How apt that just now we sang that beautiful song, How Great Is Our God. And coupled with all the glory of His presence, right? We didn't, we didn't discuss this. And, you know, it's like the Lord just nudged my dear brother, sing this song because Hanson's going to teach it later. It's about His glory and about His greatness. You know, last week we just celebrated a one-year death anniversary of our former Prime Minister, Mr. Lee Kuan Yew. And, and there have been just so many news reports and we have seen also many articles of young journalists giving their perspective, right? And, and of course today they are more matured now, they are more senior in the newsroom. But they would recall a time when they were a young journalist and they were sent on this uh, press assignment or article assignment to go interview Mr. Lee Kuan Yew. And almost without doubt, you know, all of them would say that the moment they were given an assignment, they trembled. When they were waiting for Mr. Lee to come into the room or they walked into the presence of Mr. Lee, they went in with fear. You see that? Because this was a big man. He had a, he had a great stature. And so to see Mr. Lee Kuan Yew, to be in the presence of the Prime Minister, they saw his glory, as it were, if I may use that word, and they encountered his greatness. And it left them trembling. See, when we see God... That's what happens also. We, we come into that greatness of Him. We, we, we see an aspect of Him that we have never seen before. We see how powerful He is. We see His glory. And that leaves us with a sense of awe. Have you felt that before? Have you encountered that? If you have, then you have seen God, as it were. You see? And that sense of awe, in another phrase, is really... The fear of the Lord. There's that, that reverence that is there. And it's so sad that today, people are trying to tell us, you don't have to fear God anymore. And I say that's a wrong teaching. Because truly, if you know who God is, and if you see Him, and you encounter Him, you will tremble. You will tremble. You will. And you have, if you have not, then I want to pray for you that you will encounter that. Because there have been times where, you know, I've been overwhelmed by His love. It doesn't have to be His judgmental side. It doesn't have to be His righteousness side. But you encounter His grace. You encounter His mercy and His love. And I tremble because I realize I don't deserve that one bit. That's all. And that's the greatness and the glory of our Lord. I find myself weeping. I find myself crying. And accurately, I tell you, we should be trembling. And that's, that's how it is. Because when we encounter His glory and His greatness, we don't just see Him for who He is. We see ourselves for who we are. And that's why we tremble, you understand. 
But today we, we, we seem to promote a kind of worship that we can run in and out there. There's, there's nothing at all. You know, it's all right. It's cool. I think we have, we have erased or we have removed an aspect of a great God. You know, in Job 42, verse 5 and 6, he says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And what was his response? Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. A third aspect of seeing God is comfort and help. And interestingly, in our last session, we spoke about mercy and about grace. We spoke about His compassion and we spoke about how He will act out of that compassion and out of that grace for all of us. Coming back to the illustration of a doctor, when we go to a doctor for counsel, we seek him for help, right? We come into his presence, we get to speak with him, and if you revere him and respect him as the head surgeon or the chief doctor of a certain hospital, you are really crying out for help that you know, he would be able to help you. When you go to your MP in a meet the people's session, what do you do? You are calling for help. Someone who does not have money enough to pay the bills, he or she is asking for help. When Esther appealed to the king, when Nehemiah appealed to the king, he, he's going to a higher authority, getting into the presence and saying, Oh king, will you help me? Will you have compassion upon me? Do you know for us, that's what prayer and petitions are all about. And so when we see God, we don't just see His image, we don't just encounter Him, that in His greatness, we are able to come to Him to petition Him. We can experience His mercy and His grace, and a beautiful promise is that He will listen to us and He will act on our behalf. Isn't that wonderful? That's why David wrote in the Psalm in 27 verse 9, Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me. O God of my salvation. Because before this, the verse actually says, God told him, seek my face. And David says, your face I will seek. What does it mean to seek someone's face? It's to see that person. And David says, don't turn me away. Because I know you will listen to me. You will help me. And these three aspects are key. If we want to see God and want to understand what seeing God is, quite apart from a vision or you know, a face-to-face -face, uh, physical manifestation, these three aspects, I believe, we would have experienced in some way in all our walk. But there's one more that is especially important for us to understand. And I call this perception and understanding. The word see does not just refer only to physical sight. Like for example, I can see you and you can see me physically right now. But it also refers to perception. That you perceive something. There's an understanding that is there, right? Sometimes you see things, you, you don't quite make out what that might be. And we see this happening in Judges chapter 6, verse 22, this verse there. Now Gideon perceived there was an encounter. But Gideon saw this being, he was the angel of the Lord. He says, Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord 
So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He did not just see, he had an understanding of what that vision or that picture was all about. See, this is important for us because sometimes we can see things and not understand. And we can see things and we don't have the depth of perception. Actually, Jesus had this to say in Matthew chapter 13 after sharing a parable. He said it's of the people in verse 14. In them, the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, in them this prophecy is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. And what's the reason? Verse 15, For the hearts, you see this? For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes have closed. What was the problem? Why were they seeing? Why were they hearing? And yet they were not seeing and they were not hearing. They were seeing and not seeing, hearing and not hearing. It was all a condition of their hearts. It was a heart issue. How do we apply this for ourselves if we want to understand the seeing of God? God reveals Himself. God speaks to us. God shows Himself to us through His Word, through creation, through the experiences, when we are alone, when He whispers to us, is it not? Right? And sometimes we can miss all these things if the condition of our heart is not correct before Him. It's an issue of the heart. It's the problem of the heart. And that's why there are many Christians, you know, they'll come to us and say, I, I, I cannot hear Godly, I cannot see Godly. And you can attend class after class after class after class. What's the problem? It's not another class they need. They need an inspection of the heart. It is an issue of the heart. This is the problem. And that's why the Lord says, there has to be another awakening. There has to be another stirring. That the hearts will be turned upside down. That the right issues will be addressed so that these guys will be awakened. This is what it means to see God. And the Bible gives a condition in this beatitude. Who can experience the blessedness of seeing God like that? According to the beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart. So now we have looked at the word heart. We have defined what it means to see God. Let's look at what it means to have a pure heart now. Yeah? Okay, what, is, what does it mean? This one word called pure. Well, if you look into a definition, very simply, it's something that is clean. Not just clean. Huh? It's not just squeaky clean on the outside. It's got to be clear. It's unsoiled. Now it gets a little bit more interesting now. It's unalloyed. Do you understand what it means? An alloy is a mixture. A pure heart is unalloyed. There's nothing mixed up inside. It's unmixed. And I love the word unadulterated. I looked up the meaning of to adulterate. And it means to corrupt, to debase, to make impure by adding something that is foreign or inferior. What's the picture that we have today of something that is foreign added into you know, uh, uh, products to make it look a little bit better? 
the food industry is doing that today, do you realise? Okay, and in particular, one country is very well known for it. They've got fake eggs. They can make fake vegetables. They can fake anything. I was just told that in certain countries, you don't eat, don't eat watermelon. Say, why? It's fruits, right? It's all, it's all covered. You, know, you just chop it up and then you can eat. Say, well, you sell a watermelon by weight. So what do they do? They inject the watermelon with water. But the water is unclean water. And so when you chop that watermelon, you eat it thinking that everything is contained within there, that watermelon is unpure. It's not pure. It has already been adulterated. What we're showing here or what we're explaining here concerning ourselves, talking about pure hearts, we don't want our hearts to have impure elements, foreign elements that would come in. And specifically, obviously, we are referring to sin, right? There should not be sin. At the same time, we don't want any evil or wicked thought that's going to be coming in. We don't want any kind of a deviant philosophy. We don't want alternative doctrines. But guess what, my friends? What's happening to the church of Jesus Christ today? We are importing all kinds of doctrines. And we are lapping it up. It's a neo-pagan. Uh, it is a new age. It is mixed. And the Bible actually tells you some of these are demonic doctrines. In the last days, these things will be happening. And so you can be as good a Christian as you want, but as long as you, you bring all these things in, guess what? You are being corrupted from the inside out. The heart is having a big problem. As a person, you know, we will describe someone with a pure heart to be sincere, someone to be uh, upright, someone who has integrity, and also someone who is holy. Now, this is just a very broad definition, but what, what does it mean for us? Let me give you four quick indicators once more. And the first, we're going to find from Psalm 24, verses 3 to 6. Let me read this to you. Psalm 24, 3 to 6. David writes this, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? Are you catching that question? Who can enter His presence right now? Who can, who can, who can see God? Put it another way. Verse 4, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the makarios, the blessing from the Lord. See, Jesus was not teaching anything new. Blessed are the pure in heart, for these shall see God. Now David gives two indicators down here. The first is, you have not lifted your soul to an idol. Simply, a pure heart is not idolatrous. You worship one thing. Of course, for us as God, we'll say you worship one person. You worship one God. Now, hold on to this one word called one. And you're going to see where I'm going with this. He has not sworn deceitfully. In other words, not deceitful. Not false. 
In other words, someone who is deceitful, what does he do? He says one thing, but he means another. So if you have a pure heart, if you say one thing, it means one thing that you have said. So in this context, we worship the one true God. But don't do it deceitfully. Because how many of us would dare to admit that we worship on a Sunday and then we worship the banking system on a Monday? Right? We can worship mammon and God at the same time. That's idolatrous and that's deceitful because in the song we say, I give you my heart. But actually we don't really mean it. That's deceit and that's swearing falsely. The next one we read from James chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. Now James is an interesting guy. I believe he was alluding to this passage and he actually quotes it almost word for word. Some commentators actually say that the book of James is really a commentary of the Sermon on the Mount. It's an extension of how you apply the teachings of Jesus. So in verse 7, he says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Look at verse 8. Draw near to God. What does that mean? Come into His presence, right or not? Encounter His glory. See God. He will draw near to you. What's the condition? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Same words, exactly. And so we realize that the pure heart is one that is not double-minded. It's single-minded. One. Are you seeing this now? We worship one God. If we say one thing, then that's the one thing we mean. We don't mean two, three, four. Our worship is single-minded, single-hearted, single-minded devotion. And if you want to understand context, you read what is before all this. James then actually tells us, do you know there's heavenly wisdom and there's earthly wisdom? You be single-minded. Don't be double-minded. Don't one day heavenly wisdom, second day earthly wisdom. Huh? No like this and like this. You are double-minded. He goes on, adulterous and adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You have no place in the world. Don't make friends with the world. Don't hold hands with the world. Single-minded. Don't be double-minded that when we come for a Christian meeting or Christian activity, oh, here, single-minded. When we go outside, we are friends with the world. Then we are double-minded. Are you following? It's a oneness in that understanding. That's what a pure heart is all about. The last one we see from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And the writer of Hebrews says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness. I presume pursue holiness, right? Pursue holiness, without which no one will see God. Pursue holiness, without which 
no one will see God. And so I tell you, a pure heart is one that is not morally fragmented. So wait, where do you get this word morally fragmented? Well, the opposite is moral wholeness, is it not? Right? To be fragmented is to broken, be broken into different parts, but to be whole is to be restored back into one. Do you realize the word that we use, holy, is derived from the Old English, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, which means to be whole, to be perfect, amen? Right? So when you see this word holy, sometimes we, we tend to have very spiritual pictures of what holiness is. But if you see the root word from the Old English, you get the picture. God is morally perfect. He's whole. He's complete. He's not morally fragmented all over the place where, you know, if I, if I sidle up close to this person or to the other person, you know, I'm a, I'm a different person all the different places, you know. I'm a different man when I'm in church or when I'm at home or I'm working. I am morally fragmented all over the place. God is saying, no, 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 no. You be holy. Amen? Holiness is about moral wholeness. There's another word that we use to describe wholeness. In mathematics, we call it an integer, a whole number. Is it not? From the word integer, we get the word integrity. Wholeness, you, you're one. You're not broken up all over the place. And so if you want to be set apart for God, set apart unto God, then be set apart holy. Totally, all of you, not only one part of you. This is what we call a pure heart. I, I don't know how you feel, my dear brothers and sisters. I, I go through these four little indicators and I say, where got hope? Like, who, who, who can have a pure heart, amen? Right, I mean, look at this. And that's why the, the Proverbs, the, the writer says, who can say, I have made my heart clean. I am pure from my sin. And even worse, Jeremiah declares it. He doesn't mince his word. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can understand it? The word desperately wicked means it is incurable, it is sick, it is diseased. We have no hope if we just look at our hearts by ourselves. Let me give you another interesting observation. The word heart, the very first mention and the last mention of it is found in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and Revelations chapter 18, verse 7 respectively. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. First mention of the word heart. The last mention is actually in verse 7 of Revelations 18 where before that there was a declaration about Babylon, mystery Babylon. And a call to the church to say, come out of Babylon. Get out of Babylon. 
And you know what Babylon declares in verse 7? In the measure that she glorified herself, this is pronounced upon Babylon, and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she, Babylon, says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. The last mention of the word heart is a picture of Babylon. Turning away from God, rejecting God, rebellious against God and saying, I've got no problem, I'm rich, I'm luxurious and God will judge this heart. I mean, look at the book ends. Evil only and the last picture, Babylon. My dear friends, if we inspect the heart as the Lord would show all of us, we, we don't need just a bypass. We, we don't need a few stents for the heart to beat better. We, we need a transplant. Amen? We need a new heart. This, this old heart that, that God has shown us from Scripture is beyond help, is incurable. Now, do you understand why Scripture is so clear? That in, when David was crying out in Psalm 51 after his conviction of his adultery with Bathsheba, he says, create in me a clean heart. Only you can create something new out of this, this mess. Okay, don't, don't just patch it up, Lord. Create in me a new heart. And by the time it came to the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26, God gives a solution. I tell you what I'll do, my people. I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out this whole heart and I will replace it. It's literally a heart transplant. Amen. This is what we need. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot, in this sense, purify our own hearts. Doesn't matter how religious you are. Doesn't matter all the sacrifices that you, you give. You cannot purify. You and I know only God can do that through Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That's the good news. Of course, we look at the pure heart. Only God can do it. And here, I'm just telling you how He does it. In the old system, most of the things in the temple will be sprinkled with blood. And once it is sprinkled with the blood, it is deemed to have been purified, cleansed with blood. Because it says in Hebrews chapter 9, 21 and 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Friends, we just celebrated Good Friday. And we praise God for that sacrifice upon the cross, the blood of Jesus that was shed, where He brought His own blood as the great high priest into the presence of God. And he sprinkled the blood on a mercy seat. Amen. Our hearts can only be purified by the blood of Jesus. Nothing else. Nothing else. But how do we appropriate this? We appropriate this, as you know, in Christian understanding and speak. We appropriate it by faith. By faith. There's nothing else we can do. We believe Jesus is the one. 
that has done it all for us. So in Acts chapter 15, you know, when, when they were arguing, the apostles were arguing in the council, you know, uh, what about the Gentiles? You know, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and so on. And, and Paul then declares this, God who knows the heart. God knows the condition of the heart, both of the Jew as well as of the Gentile. There is no one who is righteous. Every heart is diseased and God knows the condition of the heart. And so he acknowledged the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction. I always praise the Lord when I read a line like this. No distinction between the Jew and the rest of us. And he purifies their hearts by faith. The moment we believe, we appropriate the blood of Jesus that cleanses and purifies our heart. And how is it done by faith? You know, how is it given? It is given and is purified by God Himself according to His grace. Make no mistake, we don't deserve a pure heart at all. None at all. But in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, it says it is by the grace of God that brought salvation to all men. By His grace. And it's through the work of Jesus, redemption, and everything from every lawless deed that God has purified for Himself. God has done all the work. God has purified for Himself His own special people his own special people you know and as I, I i'm thankful preparing messages is hard work please say amen but one of the greatest joys of plowing scripture is that you get to connect these little things together amen and as i'm doing this as tired as i am my eyes are like squinting you know i am giving glory to the lord because I revisit over again the mercy and the grace and the love of God. And no friends, because of the blood of Jesus, because of the faith that we have declared in Him, because of the grace of God our Heavenly Father, you and I today, we have pure hearts. And because we have pure hearts, we get to see God. Hallelujah. We get to see God. Please don't presume anything. Don't take it so lightly. Because we have pure hearts by the grace of God, we get to enter His presence. We get to experience His rest. We get to encounter His glory and His greatness. We can petition for His comfort and His help and He says that you can approach my throne of grace with boldness. At the same time, we also have perception and we have understanding because by faith, our hearts have been sprinkled with His blood from an evil conscience and today we are regarded as pure before Him and we get to see Him. This is a wonderful thing that, you know, I, I had this privilege of going through all over again. But can I, uh, can I word it in a different way? And you know, in our Keeper's Awakening, I like to use 
um, the letter A. Perhaps it's to help you remember this a little bit more. We have access into the presence of God. We get to encounter and hold and behold the awe of God. Let us never forget that. We have the assurance of His mercy and His grace. We begin to have an awareness. We begin to know Him more and more. We have perception and we have understanding. Just in case you think I'm going to close in prayer, can I tell you it doesn't end here. We're going to end soon, but stay with me. What do we do with a pure heart? So we get to have all these privileges. We get to have all these blessings. We get to see God. Is is that the end? If that's the end, then we agree with those who preach that the Sermon on the Mount is pre-cross. And that now it's post-cross and we've got all these things now, we can stop because we're already purified. And since we're already purified, let's go home. But can I highlight this point to you? When you have a pure heart, a heart that is wholly devoted to God, a heart that begins to, to beat as the heartbeat of God, you begin to have an awareness of who He is, what He stands for, and what He requires. And in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, we read just now that He purified for Himself His own special people. And it doesn't stop there. Zealous for good works. He purified for Himself His own special people. Zealous for good works. And so it doesn't stop with awareness and an understanding and a nice feeling. It moves on to good works. There's an activation in the people of God. It doesn't stop there. Do you realize that in the activation, Jesus actually gave many, many examples in the Sermon on the Mount. And it all deals with issues of the heart. Good works will include our relationship with people, right? Good works will include how we account for things and how we conduct ourselves. So Jesus declares, you know, you be careful because if there's anger in your heart, that's going to lead to murder. If you're going to have lust in your heart, it's going to lead to adultery. And who knows, the marriage is going to end up in divorce. If there's greed and there's worry in your heart, it's going to lead to covetousness and a worship of mammon. If there's unforgiveness in your heart, you will refuse to love and to forgive your enemies. If you have pride in your heart, you will aim to show off how good you are, how loud you pray, how long you fast, and how many things you do. If you have self-righteousness in your heart, you will refuse to extend mercy and to show grace to others. And if you have double talk in your heart, then you will always require oaths and pledges. Otherwise, your yes will always be yes and your no will be a no. Your good works will include all this. If you're activated to do the kingdom work of God, you've got to deal with each and every one of these issues of the heart. 
just to have a theological position to say, I'm purified by Jesus, by His blood, is not going to help you at all. You can believe that all you want. Nothing is going to change. We have access, we have all, we have assurance. It leads to an awareness, it moves to an activation. Please forgive me, but these three words keep coming up. Can you see them? Do you realize the words awaken, aligned, assigned cover all these things? When are you awakened to the things of God? When you get into His presence, when you know Him, when you have that relationship with Him. When are you aligned? When you become aware of what God stands for. When you begin to understand the kingdom for what it is. How do you move in your assignments? You are activated because you become zealous for good and for righteous works. This is what it is, my friends. See, we've got a sick church if we are, all we are doing is just, oh, I've got all the promises in Christ. You know, this is who I am in Christ. And we sit down and we do nothing at all. And that's why the Lord is saying, look, if you have been blessed, if you are cleansed, and if you are pure, then you shall see me. But after you see me, it cannot leave you sitting down and doing nothing. Things will change. And there's one more A word that I would undergird this whole picture for you. And that word is to abide. It doesn't end at this point. You have to Abide. It's not over yet. In this final section, let me just give this to you. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Now, when you read 1 John, you have to read it when you're not feeling lousy about yourself, okay? Because 1 John, John really says it like it is. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Now what this means is that although we see God now, we don't have a clear picture. We have little bits, right? We see in part, we prophesy in part, and we, but one day it's going to be good. We shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope, this hope of seeing Him as He is, in Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. The Bible is full of this. You have been purified, but you must purify yourself. You have been purified by God, but you must purify yourself. It's like a paradox, it's like a, it's like a contradiction. If you hold on to one thing, you're going to miss the other. If you hold on to the other, then you're going to try to purify yourself, it's not going to work. You've got to hold these two understandings in tension. And how do you purify yourself? The first thing you do, you abide in Him. You remain in Him. With the privilege that we have in Christ, that we can enter into His presence, we have access, we encounter the all, we have the assurance. Remain in that. Keep remaining in His presence. Keep remaining in His grace. Keep remaining in His assurance and in His help. Keep remaining in that awareness. Revisit it over and over again. Realign with God. Over. That's what it means to abide. To keep revisiting all these things again. 
You know, John says in 1, 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, he goes on. He says, whoever abides in him does not sin. How many of you can say that? Whoever abides in him does not sin. And then he goes on to the next phrase. Painful, huh? Are you ready? Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. So don't come and tell me your vision and your experiences and you live a life of sin. Don't come and tell me you've got the grace of God and you live a double life. You still are presuming upon everything that God has given to you. You're making a joke. It's all a mockery. You remain in all that He has done. And if you would do that, you won't be sinless, but you will sin less. We do it by purifying ourselves. Yes, friends, we have a part to play. All right? You don't go to church and, you know, I'm the righteousness in Christ. I'm purified in Christ. And you walk out, you feel good. No, it doesn't work that way. Sorry. Sorry. The Bible says, purify yourselves. Now, you know how you want to do that? Through confession and through repentance. Because you can scrub yourself as much as you want. Nothing's going to happen. You know that already. But the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we should sin and if we confess, He is faithful and just. On His word, He will stand on that. And He will cleanse. The word cleanse is the same root word as the word purify. He will purify you again, just like that. And that's how you do it. You confess and you repent. How many Christians are walking around with unpurified hearts, but only in an idea that they are purified? I challenge you. And here comes another way that we are purified as we abide in Him. Through trials and through challenges. Because it says that we are refined and purified as gold is purified. And so as that comes against us, it pushes you to abide in Him so much more. Amen? It really reveals, is the true you revealed in good times or in tough times? Always in tough times. And so the Lord is saying, okay, you're purified in Christ right now. Let's see how it works. Here comes the tough time. Here comes the tough persons. Count it all joy. Because you are being purified. And you who have the hope will hold on to this purification process with joy. Because one day we shall be like Him. One day we shall see Him as He is. But for the time being, blessed are the pure in heart. For we shall see God. Amen? So let me close by asking you a very, very simple question. What is the condition of your heart? What is the condition of your heart? My part tonight is not to condemn you to tell you that you have dirty hearts. We already know that. My part is to encourage you that if you would believe in Jesus over and over and over again, a pure heart is a promise for us. Amen? But we have a part to play and we should learn 
how to do our part and allow God to do His. We hold on to this beautiful promise that we who are pure in heart will always have the privilege of seeing God. Don't walk around carrying a mask. The heart is the real you. And Jesus came to die for the real you and to save the real you. And so let's close and let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord. Once again, Lord, there's so much that's packed into just one verse. And that's your word, Lord. There's just so much of you that we can't even understand nor fathom. But each time we uncover a nugget of truth, we stand in awe of you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for Jesus dying for us. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. If there's anyone here that is struggling with an issue of the heart, can I invite you just to release this to the Lord even now? Perhaps it's anger, lust, deception, double talk, falsehood, whatever it may be. Can I encourage you, dear brother and dear sister, don't hide behind anything. The real you is laid bare, stripped bare in the presence of God. So come clean before Him and ask Him to forgive you. Repent, confess. And the promise is there in His Word that He is faithful, He is just. And He will cleanse you for you to have a new start over and over and over again. And so I pray a blessing upon all of you that as we close this session, walk out with a newness in your heart, knowing that you shall see God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.